Last week, we studied chapter number 32. In chapter 32, we learned of the golden calf debacle. The Israelites, if you remember, demanded of Aaron to make them gods who would go up before them because they waited and waited for Moses and grew impatient. And so Aaron acquiesced to the demands of the people and built the calf. And the people rejoiced because of this calf. And this idolatry, friends, was a breach of covenant between Israel and the Lord. This was an act of disloyalty towards their king, to whom they pledged allegiance. Last week, we saw that Moses intervened and Inter, intercedes for the Lord not to destroy Israel. And the Lord shows compassion and he only destroys 3,000 men. And though the Lord does not consume Israel completely, God still has to deal with the reality and the fact that Israel is, has broken covenant. And so here now we pick up ourselves in chapter 33 with the Lord telling Moses to leave Mount Horeb and head towards the promised land. It appears now that all is forgiven. It, the two sides have made up, it seems. The Lord is allowing Israel to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. So it seems like Everything is kosher, no pun intended. However, the Lord has more to say. He drops this bomb in verse 3. He says, you can go up to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. The reason being that if, if, if I go with you, I will consume you. So friends, the first thing we see in our text this morning is the presence of God revoked. The presence of God revoked. Chapter 33, verses 1 through 6. The Lord withdraws his presence from his people because of their sin. And the Lord teaches them and us that he will not tolerate or associate with a corrupt people. By withdrawing or revoking his presence, the Lord is telling them that the covenant is essentially null and void. You've broken covenant. The Lord is essentially saying to them, everything is off. Remember, before the golden calf debacle of chapter 30, 32, the Lord in chapters 25 through 31 was meticulous in giving instructions concerning the plans for the tabernacle he wanted his people to build. And the tabernacle was to be the dwelling place of his presence among his people. 
But now the Lord is, has essentially said to Israel that because of your sin, because of your idolatry, there will be no tabernacle. I will not be in your midst, in your presence. In, in chapter 25 to 31, not only do we have the tabernacle, but even the Lord talks about how there needs to be holy vestments made for the priests. And the, and the Lord is essentially saying to them, your priests don't even need their holy garments anymore. Friends, what we must see is that the Lord responds to sin with his perfect righteousness. He is a God of justice. Sin must be punished. But friends, even in God's justice, we also see God's mercy here. Watch this. The Lord tells him, if I go with you, I'm going to consume you. So by not going with them, he makes their journey safer for them. The Lord is protecting these people from his own wrath. So God mercifully and justly withdraws his presence from this people. So then in verses 4 through 6, four through six we see the people's reaction. To the Lord's decision. Verse 4 says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. On one hand, you would think that the people would be grateful. Think about it. They just committed a great sin with erecting the golden calf. And then for that great sin, they deserve death. However, the Lord preserved most of their lives and still is going to allow them to go to the promised land. The Lord was still willing to bless them. He was just not willing to go with them. But instead of the people saying, hey, that's a good deal. I'll take that plea agreement. The people are devastated. They grieve the absence of the Lord. They are in a state of mourning. They are broken and contrite. They could have gone to the promised land, received the blessing and the gifts of the Lord, but they, instead they say, Lord, we don't want that if you don't go with us. What the Israelites teach us is that God's presence outweighs God's gifts. The Reverend Samuel Rutherford said, heaven would not be heaven if God were not there. He goes on to say that heaven would be hell if God was not there. Friends, the greatest blessing is not the stuff that God's give you. The greatest blessings are not the gifts that God gives you. The greatest blessing is God himself. Friends, how blessed it is to have a personal relationship with the Lord. How blessed it is to communicate with God every day, to listen to him in his word and tell him all about our troubles in prayer. How blessed it is to be able to sing and he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. That's the greatest blessing. So here's the question for us, friends. 
Do you really cherish the presence of God? I'm going to make a turn on you. If we do indeed cherish the presence of God, do we really love him more than we love our sin? Why you go there, preacher? Because sin is what separated them from God's presence. And nothing has changed. Sin still separates us from the presence of God. And so if you feel like God is not here, God is not with you, maybe you need to do a sin inspection. Do you really cherish his presence? How much time do you spend in his presence? Do you only spend time in the presence of God on Sunday mornings? Friends, this ought to break our heart when we can't sense God's presence in our lives. So we see the presence of God revoked. These people have no joy, which is why they take off their ornaments. So we move from the presence of God revoked to the presence of God requested. That's the rest of chapter 33. Moses once again has to stand in the gap on behalf of Israel. It seems that this happens in the tent of meeting, which is why we have this whole section about the tent of meeting and Moses going to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp because God will not dwell amongst the unholy people. And so I think the author, the reason he inserts this section about the tent of meeting is to let us have a glimpse into the Lord and Moses talking to one another, even in the midst of God withdrawing his presence from among his people. So Moses tells the Lord, he says, Lord, you you told me to bring up this people, but you have not told me who you will send with me. Remember, the Lord actually said, I'm going to send an angel with y'all. And for Moses, Moses saying, Lord, that's too generic. Because other times, it was was the angel of the Lord. But now you're just going to send some of the rank and file of the heavenly angels. And Moses said, Lord, I need to know. Who who, who, who going with me now? And Moses says, Lord, you said to me that you know me by name. And you have said that I'm favored in your sight. When When Moses tells the Lord, you said you know me by name, he's saying to the Lord, You and I have a personal, intimate relationship. To know someone by name means you know their essence, their nature, their being, their purpose. So on the basis of this relationship, Moses' request of the Lord in verse 13 is that the Lord make his intentions known to him. Lord says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Prayer answered. Moses said, "Mm -mm. if your presence will not go with me, 
Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It's almost as if Moses was so busy praying that he didn't hear the voice of the Lord saying, my presence will go with you. But friends, here we, we got to read the text closely. It's, this is tricky. This is tricky here. Because when the Lord says, my presence will go with you, the word you is in the singular. So the Lord is saying, Moses, I will go with you and you alone. But the rest of them knuckleheads, gone on. So Moses, he realizes that the rest of the people need the Lord as much as he does. And so again, he intercedes to the Lord for him to go up with the people, all of his people. Moses reminds the Lord that it is his presence that makes Israel distinct from every other nation on earth. The Lord's presence is their very identity. Everything that they are, are tied to his presence. Friends, humanity is only properly defined in the presence of divinity. Thank you. Humanity is only properly defined in the presence of divinity. Let me see if I can make somebody mad this morning. Maybe the reason we have a group of people who call themselves questioning is because they are not rooting their identity in who God has said they are. Amen. 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 I'm going to do it. Amen. The problem with so many of us, even in the church, is our identity is not rooted in the presence of God. We cannot know who we really are until we really know who God is. And until we really see God for who he is, we will always be on the search for significance. And Moses says, Lord, without you, we are not a people. Friends, this is still the case for us today. The presence of God reveals to us who we are. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 teaches us that the presence of God is in us through the spirit of God. And the spirit of God dwelling in us proves that we belong to Christ. It is the spirit of God that makes us distinct. The spirit of God testifies to us that we are indeed children of God. So who am I? I'm a child of God. And that's the lens through how we have to see ourselves. This is my identity. So the Lord tells Moses, I will do what you have requested because you found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Church, to know someone by name is to be almost like best friends with that person. And what a privileged position and status it is to be called a friend of God. Friends, it is cause to rejoice and to worship this morning because the Lord knows his children by name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
He has chosen us for a relationship with him. And it is based on that relationship with him that we get to enjoy the benefits of his presence. But we cannot leave this point without pointing out that the only reason Israel will now enjoy the presence of the God, the presence of God on this journey to the promised land is because of their mediator. If it had not been for Moses, if it had not been for medi the, a mediator, the people in God would still be estranged. Instead of them being the Lord's people, they will be not my people. The only reason Israel will now enjoy a reconciled relationship with their God is because of their mediator. Friends, you and I have a greater Moses. And his name is Jesus. And it's because of Jesus Christ that we are able to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Because of Christ, the greater Moses, that the Lord's people now enjoy his presence. And friends, in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Just to be in his presence, that's where I want to be. We got to get out of here. So we see the presence of God revoked, and then we see the presence of God requested, and now we see the presence of God restored. Chapter 34. The Lord has told him, Moses, I'm going to answer all your prayers. I'll go up with them because of you and because of how you prayed. But the Lord says, we got some business to take care of before I go with y'all because y'all broke covenant. The covenant now has to be renewed. So the Lord tells Moses, he says, go get those two stones. You know, the ones you broke because you were so mad. Go get those two tablets. Those two stones, get two stone tablets. The Lord begins to tell Moses all the things that are going to be required of these people under the covenant. But before that, Moses has one last request. Before we get to 34, we have one last request. Remember, Moses says, as the Lord says, I'm going to answer your prayers. I'll go over all y'all. Moses says, show me your glory. But I want to see you. I, I want to, to see all of your glory. The manifest, your manifested presence. I want to see it. And watch how the Lord answers his question. He says, I will let my goodness pass before you. Remember, the request was, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, no, I'll let you see my goodness. Because if I show you all my glory, you're going to die. You can't handle all this. I'm talking about the Lord. <laughs> Y'all are so silly. He says, I'm going to let my goodness come before you. And so the Lord hides him in the cleft of the rock. The Lord passes before him and proclaims the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Woo! I need my Pentecostals this morning. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Friends, that's the kind of God we serve. So the Lord renews the covenant with his people, his special relationship with his people. And he says, I'm going to proclaim my name to you, Moses. Remember, this is great what the author does here. Remember earlier, it's the Lord who knows Moses by name. And so now the Lord is like, I'm going to flip the script. I want now you're going to know me by name. You're going to know me in a deeper, more intimate way than you never have. And so he says, I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord, the Lord. And let me tell you about myself. I'm merciful and gracious. I'm merciful in that I don't give you what you really deserve. I'm gracious in that I I give you stuff that you don't deserve. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that chose us. That's the kind of God that redeemed us and saved us. He says, I'm merciful and gracious. And he says, watch this, I'm slow to anger. He said, I'm patient with all my children. Listen, listen, that's more grace, y'all. Because some of us did some stuff this morning. Don't don't say amen too loud. Some of us did some stuff this morning that deserved God's punishment and God's wrath. But he saved us and he let us come to be in his presence to repent of our sins. He says, I'm slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love. Friends, oftentimes when you see those two words together, together, steadfast love, it's chesed in the Greek. H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. I'm not clearing my throat. That's how it's pronounced in Hebrew. That's a covenant term. When God says, uh, uh, I'm keeping steadfast love, he said, even when you break the covenant, I'm still going to be faithful to you. Who is the Lord? He's merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He says, but just so you know, I'm still a just God because I'm not going to clear the guilty. You're like, God, I was really enjoying this thing. Why you got to go there? Because I'm holy. And my holiness demands that I deal with sin. Friends, these attributes of God are unchanging. When God says, I am who I am, what he's really saying is, I am who I was, I am who I am, and I am who I will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
He's still merciful and gracious, still slow to anger, still abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. He's still forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he still will by no means clear the guilty. And friends, if you have not placed all of your trust and faith and dependence in Jesus Christ, this is how you would know the Lord. You will stand under the uh, you will stand condemned and under the Lord's wrath. If you have not been forgiven of your sins. How, 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 how? So how can one be forgiven? You need a mediator. His name is Jesus. And because of his blood that was shed on Calvary, on an old rugged cross, you will be forgiven of your iniquity and your transgression and your sin. Jesus has done all the work. So now that all we have to do is believe. We see the presence of God restored, and I'm done now. At the end of chapter 34, the text says that Moses, after he comes out of this tent of meeting with the Lord, his face is shining. So much so that the people fear him. And so now Moses, when he, has to, when he comes out of the tent of meeting, he has to wear a veil to cover his face. Friends, being in the presence of God ought to transform who we are. Being in the presence of God ought to transform how we live. Being in the presence of God, it ought to make other people look at us and see us differently. And so when I see mean, nasty Christians, I can tell who ain't been in his presence. We got to go. But this image, because of Jesus Christ, this image is being renewed day by day. I ain't talking about the way I look on the outside. I'm talking about my soul. Because of the spirit of God, I'm being transformed day by day so that now I image Christ and people ought to see a visible change in your life because you've been in his presence. And if you're not changing, the question is, are you in his presence? Friends, this whole text today is about the presence of God. This, master, this author does this masterfully. 25 through 31, we have the instructions about the tabernacle. 35 through 40, we have more instruction about the tabernacle because that's where God's presence will dwell in the, in the tabernacle. But then he sandwiches in 32 through 34 because what is the one thing that will keep God from dwelling among his people? Thank you. That's what 33 and 34 is about, the presence of God. God wants to be in 
in, in the midst of his people. Let's pray. Let's stand to our feet. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for being a God who's merciful and gracious toward us. Thank you for being a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Father, we worship you because of who you are. We serve you because of who you are, not just because of your gifts. Thank you that we are a forgiven people. God, restoring us the joy of our salvation. Lord, don't take your holy presence from us. God, we are people that need you. We need your presence to be in us, with us. We need to feel your presence. God, draw us back to you. Somebody in this room has backslidden into old patterns of behavior. And maybe they, we've even found new ways to sin. God, draw us back. Convict us of our sin. Show us our sin, our sinful thoughts, our sinful attitudes, our sinful actions, and cause us to be in a state of mourning and grieve the loss of your presence, of, of the loss of the felt of fellowship with you because of our sin. Father, we need you every moment, every second, every hour, every day. Father, now as we leave this place, let us be visible, walking testimonies. Let us show your glory to the rest of the world. Let us, let our lives, our words, our actions, our marriages, our homes, our church, Be visible. Show the manifestation that we've been in your presence and that we are growing because we walk with you and talk with you. Thank you that you know us by name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>